This episode of The Interchange is brought to you by APSA and Simu. Hello and welcome to the second in a new series of The Interchange coming to you from Cliff Central Studios in the heart of Johannesburg. I am Busi Mkumbuzi. Now, Milton Friedman, a renowned economist and Nobel laureate in 1970, argued that business should primarily concern itself with maximizing profits. And since then, debate has raged on from university classrooms to shippings in the streets, right up to boardrooms about the role of business in society. Some believe that it is enough to maximize profits. After all, the sustainability and long-term profitability of a business depends on it. But others argue that the complexity of modern day society means that there should be room for greater socio-ecological issues. Whichever is true, what I do know for sure is that the bottom line of a business directly affects the well-being of all those who interact with it, from shareholders to employees, all the way to customers. Now, to discuss this debate, I am joined by William Shogi, law student and writer, Tsepo Mufugeng, moral philosophy student and debating and critical thinking coach, Anam Azar, medical student and multi-award-winning debater, Dinon Lovu, independent political researcher. And to provide an expert's opinion, I have Bongani Frank Masilela, who is a social entrepreneur and director at Simung in charge of Simung's education division. Bongani, how relevant are Milton Friedman's words, given the complexity of modern day society? Um, I think they're, they're quite relevant because people like Friedman were sort of the godfathers of contemporary economics, especially neoliberal economics. So they informed the way that businesses have been behaving since the 1980s up until now. However, the call for more socially responsible businesses is also a recent phenomenon that is a reaction to the culture that was built on that quote and on that school of thought um, from economists like Milton Friedman. So I think they are quite relevant, and so is their reaction to the style of economics that was born out of that era. All right. Now, I don't want to ask you what your personal view on this issue is. I want us to go straight into the debate. William Tsepo, Anam Dino, welcome to all of you. Thank you very Thank much. You for having us. Thank you very much. And to you at home listening, we really want to hear your thoughts on the debate that we're going to have today. We want to know what you think the main bottom line of a business is. But before we start the debate, let's run through the rules of British parliamentary debating. British parliamentary debating is a uh, popular debate format originating from the UK. There are four speakers in this particular format, two teams of two people on each side. Each speaker gives a speech of up to four minutes. The first and the last minutes are protected. But between those times, points of information may be asked to each speaker. These speeches alternate from proposition to opposition with the proposition speaker one going first and the opposition speaker two going last. Now in the motion, this house regrets the narrative that the main bottom line in business is to make profits. William, I hand over to you. Fantastic. In 2019, the world is living at the end of the end of history. 20 years ago, the renowned political theorist Francis Fukuyama triumphantly declared that liberal democracy and capitalism would be the twin political and economic forces that would dominate society without challenge. Today, we know that's not true. The world is facing unprecedented levels of inequality. The promise of capitalism to deliver society that was just and fair and determined by principles of the market, of which the profit motive would be the most key, is shaping up to be untrue. People are living in precarious employment. People's 
Real wages are stagnating as the cost of living is increasing and everyone is wondering what happened. It's time to rethink the profit motive. We think that the profit motive, and in the introduction, Wusi was entirely correct, that was envisaged by the neoliberal godfathers, to use Bungani's words, in the form of Milton Friedman and Friedrich Hayek, is incorrect. It can't be the case that businesses exist simply to, ma- to maximize profits and to increase their profits. One minute is up. And the reason this begins to be a principle which doesn't create a society that is just and fair, as we previously would have thought, is that the profit motive is only conceived of as being profit for shareholders, the people who raise capital, the people who have direct access to the means of production. And in a world that is complex... In a world that, none taken, in a world that is complex, in a world in which businesses are increasingly becoming larger, as businesses not only operate in the countries in which they are conceived, but in multiple countries, we think that too many stakeholders are part of a business enterprise. Too many stakeholders are involved and too many stakeholders take part for it to simply be about producing profits for shareholders. What do we think needs to happen then? We are... In favor of reimagining businesses, we are in favor of restructuring businesses. But the profit motive stands as a stumbling block from realizing this reimagination. We think that businesses, for example, could perfectly operate where ownership in the business is vested in both those who raise capital for the business, but it could equally be vested in those who work for the enterprise, for the community that the business operates in. But the profit motive has led to a style of running corporations that is increasingly and increasingly becoming divorced from those it affects. We are seeing a world in which, for example, if a business wants to make massive amounts of revenue and generate large amounts of profits, it doesn't even need to be involved in any specific enterprise. In the age of deindustrialization, for example, we are seeing the replacement of a business that delivers a product or a service with businesses that are purely in the world of speculative, speculative capital. Increasing financialization has made it such that in order for you to be a thriving business, heck, you don't even need to be a business. You just need to be someone who has the right asset portfolio that is involved in the right stock market and you're going to be having you a have bank a balance left. that is incredibly large. And We think that we need to move away from this ideology because that's purely what it is. It's an ideology that says you maximize profits without consequence for those that you affect. And we think that we could we could create a world in which we restructure businesses, we reimagine their role in society, and we truly realize the dream of them being more just, more fair, and more equitable. But it won't come if we tell businesses and if we continue to maintain the idea that they only exist to serve those who invest in them and that they only exist to maximize the profits of those who invest in them. That's all I have to say. Thank you so much, William, for that first prop. Anam, take it over. All right. So William keeps saying that what we're do- what they are against in this instance is businesses existing simply to make a profit. And I think that's exactly the point, right? Their argumentation is incredibly simplistic because it doesn't imagine the realm in which we exist and the realm in which businesses exist specifically in an African context. So let me break it down. I think that there's three kinds of businesses that we're looking at. First, we're looking at multinational corporations. Secondly, we're looking at small to medium enterprises. And thirdly, we're looking at more like young entrepreneurs, 
um, and things like more along the lines of the informal sector, right? And I think that in an African context, actually 91% of South African businesses are in fact small to medium enterprises. And I think they play a significant role in our economy because for a lot of people, small to medium enterprises is the way for them to access upward mobility. It's the way for them to even survive in an economy in which they just aren't those jobs and you have to create them for yourself through entrepreneurship. We think then it's important that we remember that when this is the context, specifically in African context or majority of the context, then it's unfair to just say that, well, if you just have assets, then uh, you're likely to be a, like you're likely to be a business, right? And like, sure, we can see that there is privilege in the business realm, a lot of it. We definitely think that that's true, but we don't think that's something that's inherent to businesses or specifically inherent to businesses being profit driven. In fact, the reason why it's important that small to medium enterprise or any business rather is able to generate a profit or able to have profit be its bottom line because we're not saying only profit. We're saying profit be the bottom line. I'm going to draw the clarity in a minute. But the reason we think it's important is because we think that when you have a business, you invest a lot of your time, your resources and your skills. And we think then if you're unable to generate a profit or if you are not allowed to reap profit from that business, we think it's almost a form of exploitation when you're the one who has invested so much in it. Secondly, we think you get more innovative business because we think people are more readily going to invest when there is some kind of return of that profit. So we think largely the reason why businesses are profit-driven and need to be profit-driven is because that is the incentive for people to invest in them in the first place. And we think you can't just talk about this like in a vacuum, right? We need to be realistic and say that people are going to live in a capitalist society and for a lot of young South Africans, living in the society means being able to cope with it through these mechanisms. But then let's uh, like quickly talk about wh- why you get a better business um, when For you're allowed that. to generate profit. Sure. Okay, so 92% of enterprises here are SMEs, but only half of them survive past six years. And the reason that's the case is in a world in which the ideology that profit is your bottom line reigns, SMEs who don't function off that ideology, who are more concerned about community impacts, struggle. Okay, I don't agree with that because, like, that's just not true, right? I think that most very, in fact, the most successful businesses have to inherently be those that have a purpose. Because if you're not going to fulfill the needs of society, it's and very a minute left. It's very unlikely that you're going to be a successful business. If we look at the most successful businesses, those are the ones that are fulfilling a need, and that's just basic like economics, right? Where there is a demand, there'll be a supply, and therefore those businesses will be success- successful. Let me quickly talk about what we're not defending. We're not defending recklessness. We're not defending a world in which states aren't allowed to tax businesses and then redistribute that tax back into the community. We're not going to defend a world in which businesses aren't subject to things like labor laws, to things like environmental laws. The things that William is talking about, those things are largely states' failure to regulate business and like a, a failure of even consumers to hold businesses accountable within their capacity of supporting businesses or the kind of businesses that we as consumers choose to support. We think that saying that the failures of businesses in general or the failures of a capitalist society are due to the fact that businesses are inherently going to have profit as their better line is a cop-out to the complexities of the society in which we live in and the complexities of the economic system which we have created. Thank you, Anam Tsepo. You've been shaking your head. <laughs> now over to you. <laughs> I've got a lot. Alright, so I, I think I, I just want to first start with doing some responsive work to um, a bit of the stuff that Anam tells us about and then I'm going to extend on the stuff that William tells you about why 
this narrative is specifically harmful, um, particularly for how young people interact with businesses and our ability to incentivize the creation of social entrepreneurship. So I'm just going to respond to two things that Anam tells us. The first thing is this principal claim um, that it's okay for us to have this narrative because people deserve to profit off of businesses. And the next thing I'm going to respond to is why we necessarily need this narrative because it creates better businesses. So in response to the issue about people deserving to profit off of the businesses that they do, I've got two things to say. The first thing is we need to reimagine what that profit can actually look like. We think that people can get value from running a business that is successful and has actual impact in the lives of people. And that can be the imagination of the return on the work that they do. That can be the sort of fulfillment that they get. It need not necessarily be the money. It need not be about how the books look. Our particular problem with this narrative is that all that is prioritized becomes the money and it's not inherent to um, getting a return on the work that you do. The second thing that we do, the second thing that we'd say is that there are barriers to entry for marginalized groups to make that profit. So it is particularly an issue that some people who have an easier ability to set up businesses can then claim that they deserve a return on that when their ability to set up those businesses and do the work um, for which they're claiming they deserve a profit is arbitrary and other people have been locked out of. The second thing we're going to respond to is this idea that we get better businesses as a result of this narrative. Um, And what Anam really tells us here is that businesses would never be successful without delivering a service and without having an actual impact on the lives of people. Will literally gives you about two minutes of analysis about how the the, the sort of prioritization of the bottom line means that businesses can just exist in the industry um, as as businesses that kind of just say stuff or make speculation without actually having an actual impact in the lives of people, without delivering services, without having products, and without really progressing society. It's fairly possible when all that we prioritize is money and not the actual impact that people are having. The second thing that she says is that they don't need to defend recklessness and they don't need to defend the bad practices that businesses do. They actually need to because the reason why they do that is because of this narrative that what matters is the money. It's because businesses can say at the end of the day, we made this much money and we're giving this much money for tax. And that is enough that they can get away with a lot of the recklessness that Anam tells us about. Literally, the incentive for countries like China to have really lax labor laws is because they need the money and they need the investment that would come from these businesses. Before I continue, Anam. So a lot of industry in the Middle East is currently going through a crisis because they didn't, they were not environmentally friendly and thus they didn't generate a profit. The problem in your argument is that you just arbitrarily talk about profit without talking about what actually generates profit. And that is things like sustainability. That is things like purpose. Yeah. We don't deny that businesses have the ability to do good work whilst they're prioritizing. So you have one minute left. All, all that we are saying is that we have an ability to get that value out of them without their priority being on profit. That's still something that you need to defend. Yes. So the chat about the harm that we get. So we think that one of the biggest problems is a disincentivization of the um, of people creating social um, enterprises, right? So social enterprises tend to make a lot a lot less money than these businesses that are arbitrarily prioritizing just making money um, and who, who whose priority is just the bottom line of the money that they make. We think that there's a lot less money that you can make from social entrepreneurship and when the priority is on the m- amount of money that businesses are making, we disincentivize yeah, um, yeah. entrepreneurs from starting those sorts of enterprises. Enterprises that we value and enterprises that have the ability to meaningfully impact the lives of people. That's really what they need to defend here. Thank you so much, Tsepo. A mouthful. Dino, you're going to have a lot to rebut, and I'm handing over to you. I think 
what basically this motion wants us to talk about is a couple of things. Firstly, um, at what point do we start regretting things? Do we regret things because the status quo as it exists is imperfect? Yeah, or yeah. do we regret things when we try and weigh out the benefits that a particular thing that we're discussing brings to society vis-a-vis the negative? So what the bulk of analysis we get from Sebo is predominantly that businesses are good, but then the bad thing about businesses is it, that people just want to make profit out of those particular businesses. So we should harness businesses so that we can maximize their impact on society and make society better. That argument is not a synonym for businesses not making a profit because if you're saying businesses are good without analyzing why people open businesses in and of themselves, you don't have those particular businesses. So if you want to get the good from these particular businesses to have a social impact that is beneficial to the people, people must aspire to open these businesses in the first place. And the only reason that people want to open these businesses, these small to medium enterprises, these uh, corporations, is they want to make a particular profit so shame question yeah so the issue here is that we what we argue is that people have the ability to imagine a return on business operation that is not money so you can get fulfillment from doing good work and impact in society without that priority being on money you're literally arguing that people only care for money and that's the only reason why they go in we ask questions like why do we have ngos then that listen, your argument does not mean that if people prioritize money, they can't have alternatives. People that make NGOs are people that have made money elsewhere. They donate to those for particular sure. NGOs for them to have a particular um, meaningful impact on particular societies. We don't think that NGOs can't exist if there's no profit motive in society being the bottom line in particular businesses. That is a bad argument. What you also get is what would business what what do businesses mean to South Africans in general? We think if people prioritize profit, it means that they don't have to contribute to someone else's profit because they want to contribute to their own um, generation of profit to make themselves particularly wealthy. We don't think that you get the sort of like upward social mobility if people only prioritize building NGOs when people that currently have um, monopoly and people that currently have money are the people that are making money. Do you if know? People, okay, take in. So one of the things that I want to talk about is the willingness for businesses to abuse employees as a result of prioritizing that bottom line. So things like our like gross acceptance of um, automation replacing employees, because what we prioritize is making money, and that means doing things like cutting as much cost as possible. Businesses tend to get away with a lot of abuse and a lot of bad things cool. as a result Example, of their prioritization. Nike um, opening sweatshops harmed its ability to sell its sneakers. The ability for of wanting to make profit often controls the the type of things that businesses do because if there is a reputation that a business is is abusing its own workers it means that people don't buy into that particular product. The incentive for making profit affects how companies act because they know that that if they do not act benevolently and if they do not treat people right, people are less likely to buy into their particular products and not buy those particular things. So what we are saying is the market will always regulate itself because for people to make money, people have to buy into the production and the ethos of that particular business. That's why you get companies like Old Mutual. That's why you get companies like Nike leading social movements because they know that people nowadays, the market dictates that you have to stand for something for you to make a particular business. Secondly, we think that we have to harness the self-interest of people to help society. For you to want to invest money into something that helps people in society, you need to know that you get something out of it. And we don't think that trying 
would harness people's goodwill means more people will come to the marketplace. So at the end of the day, how do we get a better South Africa? How do we get a better world? We get a better world by people contributing and trying to make money because when they try to contribute and make money, you create better access to more things that people need in, in societies. Therefore, you get a better world. Therefore, you get more medication. Therefore, you get more businesses that allow access for people in particular societies. Therefore, you get companies that try to moderate their behavior because they know that if they do not cater for the needs of societies, people will opt into companies that are more eco-friendly, companies that are more friendly to social movements. Therefore, you make the society better. You know, your time is up and that brings us to the end of the debate. Thank you so much to all four of our speakers. That was incredibly interesting. And we now turn to our expert. Sabongani, what did you think of that debate? Quite heated. Um, I think oftentimes when we have debates like this, um, they're not done justice in a sense that we're, we're very good at critiquing the status quo. But in terms of coming up with new ideas, like how to actually reimagine economics, we haven't really gotten a lot of that. And I think this debate uh, gave us a lot of reimagining of how the economy should work um, and also very strong criticisms around what is wrong with it as things stand. Before we even get to reimagining the economy and value, Quick question to you as, as an entrepreneur yourself. A, a majority of this debate rested on the incentive mm. that entrepreneurs have to start their own businesses. Why do you think people start businesses? I think it's, it's, um, it's, it's, it's a bit of both. You have the profit incentive, but then you also have the, this yearning to solve a problem in society. And I think one of the debaters, um, I think Anam very correctly pointed out, that it's the ones who have a yearning to solve a problem who normally last the longest because there's a sense of purpose in the work that they do. So I think if you're purely looking for profit, that will reflect when your business starts showing you flames, right? When it yes. starts... Co- um, um, sh- um, presenting problems to you, your, the, the passion that you have for the business will start reflecting in the fact that you might give up easily, right? Because you're not passionate about solving a problem um, and there's no yearning for a greater good. So I think it's a bit of both. You want to make a living, but you also want to solve problems in society. And that sounds simplistic, right? But as, as Anam said, there's a lot more nuance. Mm-hmm. And to that end, I want you to address the idea of balancing this profit and purpose. Mm-hmm. Practically, what does it look like? Does it look like the reimagining of value, mm-hmm. as William and Sebo argued passionately? Mm-hmm. Or is it something else, uh, sort of like what Dino said um, when he was talking about, uh, you, you know, because people want to make a profit, they have to reimagine the way that they sell. They have to make sure that from a reputation point of view, mm-hmm. um, they're meeting, you know, a, a customer's um, um, ideals mm-hmm. of what that business should look like, or how, or how it should operate. Mm-hmm. What do you think about that? What's, what's interesting is that… Um Oftentimes, Karl Marx is misunderstood in discussions like this because whenever you bring out Karl Marx, people think communism, that's it. But he did actually speak about the crisis of of capitalism and how um, at some point – uh, should workers be exploited enough and if workers aren't being paid enough you start yeah. to lose the very consumers that build the basis of that economy so when Anam speaks about businesses um, surviving um, by being socially responsible I think one of the things that are up for discussion in, in contemporary times is how much you pay your workers. Are workers able to buy products? Are they able to sustain themselves and make a living and all of those things? So if companies continue not being socially responsible not taking care of the environment, not paying their workers properly, then the very customers that they rely on to keep their businesses alive 
one, probably won't be alive if climate change continues and if we abuse the environment, but two, won't be able to afford the products that they want to sell them in the first place. So those are some of the arguments that I think need need to be evoked in a discussion like this. Businesses will not survive if they don't pay workers properly. But over and above that, businesses won't survive if they don't speak to the social fabric that we see in society today. So multiple identities and people identifying um, as different identities. Um, I noticed that recently the English Premier League, for example, which in the past concerned itself with money and football, is now concerning itself with Pride Month. Right, They're trying to reach out to their queer supporters and show them that they care about them and that they are more than welcome to participate in the sport as with anyone else. That is a form of, one, a sincerity, but two, a form of survival as well. Mm-hmm. Right, If you're not reaching out to the people that reflect what society looks like, you simply won't survive as a business. William and Seppo, just quickly on that point, uh, Bongani talks about the well-being of... Um, the people that interact with the business being central, does that necessarily mean that the triple bottom line is now, you know, the new bottom line? Or does it mean that a business could still pursue profit, but deeply care about these issues? I think the, the point that we were trying to put forward is that a lot of the problems with the world right now would require quite a drastic reimagination. Mm. And that what we're witnessing today is a lot of companies as the other team correctly pointed out, trying to demonstrate that they care more about profit. But I, I guess the point that we're making is that a lot of that is cosmetic, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of that is so that you can, in fact, survive. But is so that your enterprise can survive, is so that you can continue to generate profits, and so that the interests of shareholders are taken care of. And I mean, I guess a case in point to use to illustrate this trend is it is Pride Month, but... One of the big contradictions that you'll be seeing is corporations like ExxonMobil, the great polluter of oil and gas in the Middle East, running a very comprehensive Pride Month campaign. But at the same time, you're thinking, well, you're a big oil company and you're standing in the way of green technology being realized or you're only selectively implementing green technology reforms as long as it allows you just enough room to appease customers and to convince them that you're ethically minded, but also enough that you can still generate a lot of profits. Yeah. And Amandino, mean, do you have a response to that, specifically speaking to the issue of how companies potentially serve um, well-being and societal interests at a very cosmetic level, primarily because you know social and ecological issues are not... Um, seen as important as profit is? I think the counter-narrative that they argue for is something more mendacious. The idea that companies that were initially built for profit should now lead wholeheartedly, not cosmetically, social movements. And if those elitists in those particular companies are now in charge of social movements, can the world that you imagine actually come into fruition? when they don't actually have the understanding of queer bodies, when they don't have the actual understanding of poor people, then you let those people lead wholeheartedly and lead the charge against the problems that exist in society. I think you only get an elitist perspective of solving some of those particular issues, and that is more dangerous. Rather, they exist cosmetically, but still aid people that are doing it from the bottom of their heart, and they're employing people and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. I think... Sorry, just to, yeah, to, yeah, sure. to counter that. I think, I think for us, like the problem, and I think the reason why we called it like an ideology beyond viewing it as a narrative is because I think our concern is we do want to create a world that is fair, that is just. But if 
we're able to reach a point where the people who are at the forefront of maintaining an unjust, unequal, and unfair world are now viewed as being more benevolent, then that has a pacifying role, right? That yeah. placates you. Mm. Yeah. That that fools you into thinking, well, actually, maybe the world is getting better. It's mm. it's just a it's a very effective sleight of hand. I think that we were just worried that these corporations are are taking on. In fact, let me point to a particular example um, about a restaurant in Bramfontein. So yeah. um, it was that dude who had one of the most racist videos um, ever posted on Instagram with so much arrogance. Um, but there was an ability to get away with that because we rely on the soft sense of accountability that a business will not survive if they do bad things or um, if they're you know, the people who own those businesses are irresponsible. That business managed to survive. All they did was change the name of the restaurant, change a couple of, um, you know, the painting, uh, the paintings around and change how the business looks and they were able to continue to operate. So there's a very soft sense of accountability that exists that means that it's not okay for businesses to just prioritize profit on the hopes that if they did anything bad in the pursuit of that profit, that they would, would get accountability from people. In reality, it hardly ever happens. Does that matter? And um, do you know in closing? Okay, first thing I want to respond on um, is what William Shockey spoke about mm. initially. Um, the idea, the the idea of an all producing company supporting yeah. Pride Month and stuff like that. Um, like what Bongani initially said when he came back on is, what world do they imagine that's counter narrative to that? What counterfactual can we imagine? Like, can a world where we don't produce oil because oil is is generally um, something that's bad to the environment ever exist? So when we are recreating things, we need to be able to um, offer a counter narrative that makes life more livable, even in that particular counter narrative. Mm. Just drilling holes into a system that has a lot of benefits that far outweigh the harms does not create a world that is better off. So the sort of conversation we're having here is important because it keeps checks and balances. And if more people had access to such conversations, knowing that the company that um, Tsepo is speaking about is doing those sorts of ills, it means that more companies that want to be more profitable in future will make sure not to antagonize people that might have contradicting views. And I just want to add to that quickly and say that I think that while I definitely do agree that there isn't enough accountability as there needs to be, I still think that it's still pretty significant that one of the largest portfolios that businesses have in this day and age is like around their image and around like the way the community perceives them. So I think like it, there's definitely not enough accountability, right? But I think yeah, like yeah. the harsh reality is that it's very, very seldom the case that we get enough accountability in any instance. I think the point is, though, that at least we get businesses who can't just continue without, like, even, like, revamping the place or, like, doing something at least. Like, at least there is some kind of awareness that this business needs to change in some form or, like, at least there are large campaigns where even if it's on a cosmetic level, at least those exist. Because I think what we need to realize is I think sometimes we're confusing, like, just things that exist generally and things that exist because businesses are profit-driven. Because I mm. think if we look at altruism in general, how much of that can we really say is genuine and how much of that is cosmetic? How many people do good things just for their own personal image? So I think blaming this on pro- on businesses being profit-driven just removes a very important function in business, which is to provide people with upward mobility. And the rea- the reality is, Things like NGOs and things like businesses just yeah. existing purely out of purpose is a privilege that not everyone can afford to have because it's just not sustainable. I'm going to give you the last word, Bongani. Um, how do we reconcile all of these issues? But most importantly, what is the role of a business in society? 
in the 21st century? I think how we how we reconcile all of these issues um, at the end of the day needs to be people centered. Because um, here's the thing that I like about the triple bottom line sort of ide- narrative or ideology or whatever the case may be is that it really does center all of the agents that are important. Profit, business can survive. People can include workers who need to be paid well, but also consumers who need to be given the best product possible. And planet means taking care of the environment. And I think a reimagining of economics, uh, whether it be capitalism or a different form of capitalism or not capitalism at all, at the end of the day, we'll ne- need to take into consideration how do we serve those three people the best. Um, and that is not just the role of business, but it's also the role of government, who in many instances has become mm-hmm. toothless in the face of businesses, right? Mm-hmm. One of the things that um, I think Anam spoke about was business, you know, not advocating for a, a reckless government that doesn't keep businesses in check. And once upon a time, there was a world where the government was able to keep businesses in check, where the government was able to say, listen to what the unions say, listen to what the workers want, um, and also give people the best products possible. Cars would last 10 years instead of two. So that world did exist, and it can still exist, but we need to center people, profit, and planet um, if we're going to achieve such a world. All right, we leave it to that positive note. That was the debate. This house regrets the narrative that the main bottom line in business is to make a profit. Thank you for listening to The Interchange and see you next time. This episode of The Interchange is brought to you by APSA and Simone.